Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. I can change a diaper with one hand. You got back, Jack. And Joe Getty. Joey, baby. I love entertaining people. I'm strong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. So the hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. A person with a large wooden stick attacks a homeless man right next to Westminster Avenue Elementary School in Venice. Seconds later, two more people join in the beating, slugging the homeless man again and again. Did school kids see that? Absolutely. Francesca is a Westminster Elementary parent who shot that video on her phone. She says this encampment appeared near the school when it was closed because of the pandemic. But the tents are still there and the kids are now back on campus. What do you see in front of this school on a daily basis? People that are defecating, urinating, out here shooting up, violence, people fighting. Awesome, right next to the school. Well, that's right fantastic. in front of the kids, too. The kids see all of it. Wow, that's just fantastic. I've seen so many videos of people doing abhorrent things in L.A. in particular, uh, in the bum and junkie camps. I don't even watch them anymore. But, yeah, that's a heck of a story. Uh, Seattle dealing with a similar situation. A bunch of bum camps uh, sprung up around schools because they were empty during the COVID. Needlessly, by the way, never forget that, please. Uh, at least after certainly, you know, June, everybody knew what we needed to know about it. Um, but so now all the do-gooders who refuse to get rid of a bum camp are saying, no, you have to leave them there. You can't. Where are these people supposed to go? Uh, much more on that to come. Let's away go away from a school. Yeah, yeah, not here. Uh, give me a sixty-two, Sean. Homeless encampments appeared during the coronavirus shutdown outside schools and parks across town. At Broadway Elementary on the west side, tents have been pitched right up against the building. There have been encampments outside schools in South L.A., in Playa Vista, and next to numerous parks that are popular with kids, like Yucca Park Youth Soccer Field, where the I-Team witnessed this man brandishing a knife and threatening another man. I can't go very far down that road mentally or I get too angry and depressed over the situation, having lived it so many times where I live. You're freaking tax money going to pay for these beautiful parks and you can't take your kid there because our we, we think it's a compassionate thing to let the homeless have the park as opposed to the kids. Yep. Yep. Two more notes from L.A. and it could it's going to be your town next. If you follow the same policies... As the West Coast Blue Cities, it will be your town next. But Echo Park Lake uh, finally reopened in L.A. after they removed 35.7 tons of solid waste. Took $600,000 worth of cleaning, clearing, and repairs, including replacing playground surfacing, upgrading restrooms, better lighting, uh, fixing everything that had been broken, hauling away all the needles and the human excrement. And that's a beautiful park paid for by tax dollars that got ruined. And then this from CBS LA. It's a little uh, written piece from Venice, uh, uh, section LA again. Michael Wood, who's been living in a tent on Venice Beach since October, said he's frustrated that officers with the LAPD were continuing to walk through the encampment and ticket people found inside. You're writing tickets but telling all of us that we can't be here and that we have to go somewhere else. Well, where do you want us to go? Michael, that's up to you. Go anywhere you want. 
You're not allowed to sleep there. You're not allowed to camp there. Where do you want us to go? You're a human being. You're a grown man. Figure it out. You certainly Pick somewhere. Get a job. You certainly don't get to claim some of the most valuable, beautiful property in the entire world as your own because your life has gone awry for reasons uh, due to you or others. But in most cases, it's due to you, as studies have shown most of these people are drug addicts. Now, if this guy is mentally ill and needs help, all right, that's a different situation. But listen to the attitude. Seems like they got a lot of people that are employed to come out here and tackle the problem, ask people if they want housing. But then by the time you get on the list, it's just like a bunch of ongoing circles. Yeah, that free housing is inconvenient as hell. Says Peggy Lee Kennedy, a member of the something, the Venice Justice Committee. Oh, I'm sure I'd have plenty to discuss with these folks. You cannot just remove people from an area because somebody says it doesn't look good. You can't? Sure you can. Of course you can. As I said in a city council meeting in my burg a couple of years ago, when homelessness was on the rise, uh, at what point do we prioritize taxpayers over the people that are, are, are taking do we at any point decide that the people paying for all this stuff have a say or not? No, no. Where do you want me to go? He says. Unbelievable. Well, so you got that homeless situation, which is uh, everything we've talked about. And then just crime on the rise general, violent crime on the rise general across the nation. Um, reading from the New York Times, violent crime is spiking. Do liberals have an answer from liberal Ezra Klein? Early estimates find that in 2020, homicides in the United States increased somewhere between 25 and 40 percent. It's the biggest one-year spike since they started keeping statistics. Violent crime has never gone up this much in a year as long as they've been keeping numbers. That is something. And early estimates indicate that the increase has carried over into 2021 and uh, and growing on its uh, you know amazing 2020 numbers. Violent crime is a crisis on two levels. First and foremost, the victims, of course. You have to throw that out there, obviously. But it is a political crisis. Violent crime will lead to different politics, Ezra Klein, Ezra Klein says in the New York Times, and says this. Do liberals have an answer to violent crime? And if so, what is it? Making the point that if you Freeing more people from the jails. That's the answer. Um, if you don't... Well, I'll just read what he wrote. That'd be the smart thing to do. Um, if these numbers keep rising, they could end any chance that we have of building a new approach to safety and possibly carry Donald Trump or someone like him back into the presidency in 2024. I guarantee you, a lot of people are going to win races across this country by being uh, tough on crime candidates. Guaranteed. Absolutely. Just this week, Philadelphia's progressive district attorney, Larry Krasner, fended off a primary challenge barely, but the politics are changing fast. Democratic primary voters in New York City say crime and violence is the second most important problem facing the city behind the only thing ahead of it is the coronavirus. And that'll be gone soon. And then and then crime will be the number one issue in New York. It's ahead of affordable housing, racial injustice, a lot of the big, you know, liberal stuff that people care about. Nope. Crime is number one in New York as soon as Corona is gone. Just a few, few weeks ago, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta, who's gotten a lot of attention, was facing political challenges, attacking her for being soft on crime, and she announced she would not seek reelection. The politics of this will change and change fast. Agreed. How could it not? We were citing some of the statistics the other day. Crime up 40, 50, 60 percent. In fact, is that the topic of Clip 60? I don't remember. Does anybody remember? 
But the point is, people are not going to put up with that. And you, you will go from being a progressive to build schools, not jails. We've criminalized people that we have a racial, racist system. Blah, blah. They'll go from that to lock them up. In about a week, as soon as they or people they love are victimized. Absolutely. You get your car broken into, or worse yet, you know, a violence or a threat of violence, and all of a sudden your politics change fast. You might be pro-choice, and, uh, you know, everybody should speak Spanish. I don't know. Pick your favorite liberal cause. <laughs> but you get whacked on the head, and somebody steals your stuff or, or threatens your kid. All of a sudden, you're going for the hard ass. Yeah, yeah. I have a buddy who is in New York three to four times uh, per year on business, uh, often for a week at a time. And he said it is stunning how quickly it has become significantly more dangerous to walk the streets in New York. Wow. Which is amazing. And he is a very reasonable person and worldly wise, not prone to, you know, he saw a scary guy and ran back to the hotel. Uh, he says the, the difference is striking. And that's, you know, one example of many. Uh, what, what's the statistic? Portland shootings are up 61%. It was a bloodbath in Chicago over the weekend. And New York. There were, I think, nine dead and 38 other people shot. So you got 40 to 50 people shot. How do 40 to 50 people get shot in Chicago in a weekend? What's going on? Well, part of what's going on is a lot more of the career criminals who are locked up are back on the street. The cops have been, you know, they're retreating to the station houses and afraid to uh, get involved in the communities. And and some of that is uh, legitimate. Some of it's probably not. Uh, but uh, it's a mess. Those numbers will shift fast as crime continues to rise. So we'll be keeping our eye on that story. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I couldn't hardly know less about cryptocurrency. I mean, it would almost take effort to know less. I'm not sure I'm willing to put in the effort. For instance, I came across this headline yesterday that apparently was big breaking news. Just in, at NVIDIA reduces the hash rate of upcoming graphics cards so they're less desirable to miners of cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Oh, hash okay. Rate. Well, I didn't realize yeah, that surprising. that happened. Yeah. Well, you see, when you're mining cryptocurrencies, the hash rate involves your energy consumption, which is okay. the output cost of your input from the... Okay. I believe you. I just don't understand it. Um, so I was What's to understand? Your... What's a Bitcoin worth these days, Sean, roughly? Uh, I think it's it's in the 38000 range. I think it was... Right. $38,000. That's because it's an enormous coin. It's the, it's a coin the size of a, like a trampoline. <laughs> yeah, yes, that, that's the first thing to know about crypto coins is they scale based on their value in terms right. of the size. <laughs> yeah. If you want to buy like, uh, you know, a uh, thousand bucks worth, they have to shave some of it off. They put it in a bag. Would sh- would it have been better if they'd have called these shares instead of instead of coins to start with just for my mental image of everything? Or I don't know. Maybe that would have been helpful. The vision was more of a currency than like a, a stock thing you hold. So I think they were trying to right. presumptive close that we, we are naming it after the thing we want it to be. Um, so I asked for some of your stories in cryptocurrencies. $10 invested in Bitcoin three years ago. Now it's $27.50. So, Woo! Time to retire. For whatever reason, that one didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. 2.7x. That's not terrible. Um, I took my 1400 in Biden bucks, turned it into Bitcoin. 
sold it when it was worth 1300 Biden bucks. Now that's what you call investing. <laughs> Buy high, sell low, my friend. Well done. Well played. But then you've got a couple of these that are really interesting. I bought 10,000 Dogecoin when it was at point zero 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 two a share. I sold it for $1.5 million, and I've moved out of the San Francisco Bay Area to Pahrump, Nevada, and I'm living in a trailer. Wow. Bought 10000 sold it for $1.5 and I imagine that's in a fairly short period of time because Dogecoin hasn't been around that long. You can buy Pahrump for that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I know they've been around a lot longer than I guessed. Dogecoin has been around since t- 2013. I didn't have, I had no idea of that. Yeah. Okay. Wow, yeah. I got pulled over uh, speeding on my Harley in Pahrump. I was headed to Vegas. And uh, the guy had just pulled me over to look at my motorcycle, turned out. He didn't give me a ticket. He just wanted to, <laughs> just wanted to talk about motorcycles. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And wow. He just wanted to talk about Harleys. Huh. Really young guy let me go, which was nice of him because I was driving really fast, but I'm on a highway in Pahrump at 2 in the morning. There's not another car. I didn't see another car in an hour. He was just bored. It's flat and straight. Come on. Who's going to get hurt? A human. Let me, let me engage. <laughs> I think that is what happened there. Now, this one is really interesting to me. I bought Shiba Inu. The ticker on that is S-H-I-B to prove that it's true in mid-March. And I was able to buy a little over 2.5 billion of the coins for $350. It was a complete let's see what happens bet because of the dog meme coin thing going on. What's the dog meme? What? What's the dog so, meme coin thing going so on? That's the Doge coin, right? Doge is internet speak for dog. Okay, I you, did not know that. Yeah. Um, Why on the internet do you have to call a dog a Doge? Because it's cute and funny. All right. Um, and so the I had no idea that Dogecoin was dog coin. Yeah. All right. And, and the mascot for Dogecoin is the breed Shiba Inu. And in an attempt to ride the wake of the uh, the the momentum trades of the Dogecoin, Shiba Inu said, "Let's just make a Shiba Inu coin because these are savvy people participating in the meme economy." Which which capitalizing on the dog cryptocurrency craze of 20 minutes six months ago specifically the mascot of that dog cryptocurrency craze i haven't heard anybody else use the term meme economy which you started saying last year i think but you're absolutely right that that is a thing here's the proof of it um that if if there's a there's if there's a funny clever meme catching on and there's a way to invest in it you should because it's going to be hot for a cup of coffee, and you might be able to make some money off of it like this person did. So they bought $2.5 billion. No. No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> billion of the coins yes. right. for 350 actual U.S. dollars. So $2.5 billion of the coins. It sold at its all-time high of point zero 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 three four four seven. Yes, that yes, that's three and a half one hundred thousandths of one cent, and even selling at that tiny fraction that you can barely wrap your head around, because he got in at such a tiny or even tinier amount, he turned his three hundred and fifty bucks into ninety thousand dollars. Wow! And that's from March. Wow! So in like a month and a half, he went from three hundred fifty bucks to ninety grand because he caught on. He realized, hey, this is a joke. People will think is funny in the meme economy and probably invest. Well, inspired by positive Sean telling us we could start our own uh, cryptocurrency if we want, I capitalized on the dog craze and started Shitzu bucks. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me uh, let me check real quick. 
The 5000 I put into Shih Tzu Bucks now worth, good Lord, $5.2 million. Screw easy. you, screw you, <laughs> screw you. I'm out. This dead-end crap fest radio show is in my rear view. Oh, oh. Oh, it's down again. It's it's down badly. Oh boy. Oh boy. It's worth $110. Yes. Oh boy. Yeah, I got to believe that the thing with these coins is when it hits a number you like, you better get out before you even have time to tell your friends about it. The single biggest thing that I think people won't appreciate if they are just now getting into it is the 24-hour nature of this market. I never appreciated how nice it was that the stock market has off hours. Oh, right. Oh. So in the middle of the night, that's when that's when this big crypto. I woke up today and everything was down twenty percent. Well, and you could have slept through when Dogecoin or Shitsu Bucks or Beagle Dollars or whatever <laughs> were suddenly worth a thousand times what they were for like three and a half hours yeah. while you slumbered. The the twenty four hour nature of the crypto markets is my single biggest annoyance of them so far. Other than the people who constantly talk about it, I've got all my kids' college money in dingo doubloons. <laughs> That's a good investment. You got to be in dingo doubloons. 10% of your portfolio. But so you want to buy the dip when it's low. It might happen at 3 o'clock in the morning while you're sound asleep. Yeah. Now now we're getting a little deep into it. But do the apps have a function where you could say if it hits X, buy? If it hits uh, Y, sell? Uh, I know you can set alerts. I do not know if they have the automatic payment thing up. So you can get an alarm maybe. But I would assume those things are coming if not already there. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. I wonder how many things are going to stick around after the pandemic. Which were practically in the aftertimes of the pandemic. Um, depending on where you live, it's the aftertimes, but. Right. And if you've gotten a vaccine. And I, I don't, I don't know which things are going to stick around and which aren't. A lot of assumptions have been made that could turn out to be wrong. Um, productivity is up, as it mentions in this USA Today article, but it's taking a toll on people's mental health to a certain extent. That might not have anything to do with working from home. It might just be living in a world in a pandemic where your kids are out of school and you can't see grandparents, et cetera, et cetera, was the cause for that, not the specifically working from home. Right, and there's been so much change. If you know something was dialed up to 11, we'll scale it back to 9 and kind of rebalance, I think, in, in a lot of good ways. Um, nine in 10 HR executives say they're willing to hire remote employees around the country or around the world compared with half before the outbreak. So before the pandemic, half of companies would say that. It is now 90% of companies say they're willing That's amazing. to hire people um, around the country, around the world. Why, why would you not take a really qualified candidate that would be great for your company, but they don't want to leave West Virginia or France or wherever the hell they are? Because that's where they live and that's where they're from. Of course you're going to hire them now that you've figured out ways to do it. 
Sure. Well, there's obviously a belief that it's not while the cat's away, the mice will play. It's like if the mice are in mouse town, they're going to play all the time. But as it turns out, any mice are in mouse town. (laughs) I mean, they never come to Catville, Um, except for, you know, once a month, the sales meeting. But uh, no, obviously, if the mouse is self-motivated and wants to rise up through the company, the mouse will be plenty productive. So as it turns out, surveyed all these companies and. 38% 38% of the organizations, now I'm going to go slow here because there's a lot of numbers, 38% said that 40% or more of their employees will chiefly work from home. Before the pandemic, just 5% of businesses said that. Wow. So it's gone from 5% of businesses that let that big a chunk of people work from home to 38%. Seven times as many. Yeah. I think partly because it it, it seemed like nothing but risk to run that experiment. And plus, nobody was particularly pushing for it. Hey, Jim, how about we have our entire, uh, you know, uh, computing uh, staff and uh, IT, I guess is what you call it. Let's have them work from home. What? Why? There are um, a, a number of meetings that we've had during the pandemic, and I'll bet you all have had similar experiences where you did it on the Zoom. You know, it was one of those short meetings where you're going to meet with a client or whatever you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And it was perfectly fine. And you feel oh, yeah. like we accomplished everything we needed to accomplish, but we didn't drive an hour through traffic and then find a parking place and then walk up into the building and then wait in the lobby and then go into the conference room and sit around and have small talk for a few minutes, then have the 15 minute meeting, then do all that other stuff I just said in reverse. Yeah, Taking except that if it were afternoon. only 15 minutes, hallelujah, mostly, and I've, I've observed this through our career, people feel like, okay, they've devoted an hour to getting here, so the meeting really needs to be at least 45 minutes, otherwise it's disrespectful, which is like the worst thing you could possibly do. If you got five minutes of business, the kindest thing you can do is keep this meeting to five minutes. But nobody wants to do that. And now that we've all had that experience, are there going to be a whole bunch of fear? I can't imagine if, I, if I'm if i running a business, am I still going to pay for somebody to fly from L.A. to San Francisco to have that meeting, put them up in a hotel? You know, what's it going to cost me? A thousand bucks hotel and uh, airfare and food and everything like that? Why am I going to do that? You know, I am think I ever going to in... do that again? Yes. Yeah. For initial client meetings, I think the personal contact can be worth it, uh, depending on the nature of the business. Yeah, but a lot of business flyers, business travelers that I know, they're on the road three days a week. Oh, heck yeah. Year round. Why yeah. would that continue? I just can't imagine why it would. Uh, no. If everybody's satisfied by this model, then no, you wouldn't go back to the It other wouldn't one. even have to be as good to come out ahead. How much is spent, you know, what this is going to do to the economy overall, I don't know, but how much money is spent on hotels and flights and meals? So you don't need to be as productive. You just need to be, you know, you might even only need to be 80% as good. Still come out ahead if you eliminate all that travel cost. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to these things, but I just, I don't know. And, and especially the, going forward, we can keep tweaking. Well, as right. a society, as right. businesses. Yeah. But but so I throw in this caveat because I had this experience fairly recently, and I have to be vague about this, but there is a certain organization that I'm involved with. We've been doing our meetings over Zoom for the past year, and I was of the belief, 
have had these conversations with people where I thought it's about 80% as good as being in person. So that's pretty good when you include the convenience of it, like I was just talking about travel, time, all that sort of stuff. Um, But then having returned to in-person, I realized I was way out of whack. I'm Mm. thinking maybe as 10 to 15% as good. Oh, my gosh. Not even close. Not even close to what I thought. I thought this is 80% as good. And then the first time back in person is like, no, no, this is way better. Not even comparable. Wow. That's just my personal experience. Would it be fair to say that you'd kind of forgotten what it's like to be in physical proximity to people? Absolutely. And I'm telling you, there's biochemistry at work there that's incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, I can't nail it down, but like, you know, it's, it's intangibles. It's all kinds of. All kinds of different things. It's it's the it's the, the few comments with somebody aside before you walk into the room that don't happen in Zoom. You know how Zoom works. The two loudest freaking nut jobs that get to the Zoom meeting the earliest easy now dominate the whole <laughs> dang thing, and nobody else gets to talk to anybody. So if you got twenty people on a Zoom call, two people make their asinine jokes while everybody else sits around and listens to them as opposed to in a real meeting where everybody gets together and you turn to the person you actually like and you talk a little bit until the meeting starts and after the meeting right right there can be no oh another meeting this should be exciting i mean even if you only half mean it that's this building a relationship and in the zoom context that has to be on the mic to everyone another zoom meeting with a client the client's looking at you like what this should be fun <laughs> and i i would consider that a tangible thing i mean that's something i actually can measure all the other stuff of just whatever you get from being in a room with a human being versus i mean there's got a, within... a sense of i got to get out of here i get that often <laughs> when i'm in a, a room full of you people know, <laughs> you know the more i think about it why would you travel to visit grandma and grandpa if you could just talk to them on a the phone but people still go to visit grandma and grandpa we just sense that there's something way more impactful i could do facetime with my mom and dad with my kids all the time but there's it's just i I can't believe i just thought of this um it's just so clearly more impactful for my kids to be there and for us to be together in the same room than it's not even close right you hardly even you feel silly uh, having to say it it's so obvious so if that is completely different and more meaningful and much more of a connection why wouldn't a business meeting be similar because you are describing things that bring you joy. People you care about yes. versus people you hate. Yes. <laughs> Whoa, again, I ask you, easy now. Easy. Not well, all meetings, just most. Yeah. Well, hey, look, in many, in most business settings, I mean, a lot of business settings, you're looking for value. You think your interaction with the other person will bring you more value than not interacting with them. They think the same thing. As long as everybody gets their value, it's an exchange, and that is fine. But when it comes to connecting with people for reasons of love and friendship and, and togetherness and the rest of it, no, you can't get that off of Zoom. Yeah, um, so I guess my ultimate theory would be you, you can't just say meetings. They're, they're, they, they, they vary so much in what they are. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There are a hundred different variations of, you know, what it means for humans to get together. So if you got a sales team and you all know each other for the most part, um, and you do a meeting every day at uh, 8.05 and you say, how's the southern quadrant? 
It's up 20%, boss. Yeah. West Quadrant, check in. We're down 15%, but we're trying hard. You know, those kind of meetings, probably you don't need to be in person. No. No. Ever. If you have this sort of gig where, you know, you, you got to have each other's backs when, when the poo hits the fan, well, then, yeah, cops and firefighters and first responders and hospital workers and that sort of thing. Yeah, I would I would just say that I don't think the story has been written on this yet that people we we know. I think they're going to find out all kinds of stuff about team building. And not to mention, we've, and we've talked about this a lot, uh, this was all... B- based on teams that primarily had already been together. You already had the personal relationships, mm-hmm. and then you went to Zoom. Going forward, if you're building this stuff over Zoom, will that work at all? Will you it's have tough a, on the newbies. Will really you, tough. Oh, it's got to be. Would you have a team at all that has any feeling of a team? Yeah, my if, daughter's going through this right now, and it's a struggle. It's a real challenge. Luckily, she'd interned at this place before, oh. so she knew some of the people physically, at least some. Oh, well, if you didn't know them at all, and you go, I just, you would never get those hallway conversations, bathroom conversations, meet for a drink after work, uh, you know, uh, feelings that you get. You just wouldn't. Bathroom conversations. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We're in there to pee and only to pee. Don't turn to me. Don't Eyes ask me forward. how my weekend is. I don't know. No. I walk in on a guy and go number two and say, how's your how's your, how's your wife doing? <laughs> That's beautiful. Peer over the stall. How you doing, Jim? <laughs> Recognize your shoes. <laughs> I hate when Jack Thought I'd does say that. hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Recognized your shoes. Thought I'd say hello. That's why I'm standing on the seat to peer over. <laughs> what are you reading there? Sports section? How the Giants do? Yeah. Really nice. glad we're all getting back to the office now. <laughs> well, Jack, I tell you what, the, your one point I think is absolutely right that any conclusions that are drawn about how this is going to work are very preliminary at yeah. this point well, just, because there will be rejiggering, there will be uh, fine tuning, and the, the, the problem with unforeseen consequences, the, the, what I hate about unforeseen consequences is you don't foresee them. Yeah, and I just, you know, take my story. I don't know if you've had this experience. If you had, text line 415-295-KFTC. But I thought I was, like, you know, most of the way with Zoom. And I, in one particular kind of meeting, I decided not even close. Not even wow. close to the same thing. So I don't wow, funny how you can and, either forget or fool yourself. And I would have predicted the opposite. I mean, I was leaning the other direction. I wasn't looking to come to the conclusion I ended up with. Right, revealing. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And USA Today today out with a poll. 71% of Americans uh, say that we have more in common than is reflected by political leaders or in the media. That's without a doubt true. Of course. Uh, three the fact that people, it's only 71 is a little disappointing. Three quarters of, roughly three quarters of people believe that, yet, you know, we don't get the representation of what we actually believe. But 44% said the country's ability to deal with major, major disagreements over the next decade will worsen. So, uh, 44% people say it's going to get worse. That's up 5% from a year ago. So I, I hope, th- I think they're probably right. Oh boy. So yesterday, James Carville, Democratic strategist, going way back, and uh, he's old. I mean, he he helped Bill Clinton get elected in 92, which is now dang near 30 years ago. Well, this mm. is 30 years ago for the presidential election. Oof. So he's an old man. But he did an, an interview yesterday with Axios and uh, and had some interesting stuff to say. Uh, it's hard to talk to anybody today. I won't do the, the whole thing in his Oh, place. come on. Uh, Dang it. Um, 
He said, it's hard to talk to anybody today, and I talk to lots of people in the Democratic Party who don't say this, but they don't want to say it out loud that there's too much wokeism because they'll get clobbered or canceled. So he's saying it all, everybody at the top knows this. They're just keeping their mouths shut. Uh, honestly, if we're just talking about Biden, it's difficult to find something to complain about. His biggest attribute is that he's not into faculty lounge politics. And the interviewer, Sean Illing, um, of Vo- I'm sorry, it's Vox that did this interview. Of Vox said, what's faculty lounge politics? Carvel says, you ever get the sense that people in faculty lounges and fancy colleges use a different language than ordinary people? Yeah, they come up with a word like Latinx that no one else uses, or they use a phrase like communities of color. I don't know anyone who speaks like that. I don't know anyone who lives in a community of color. I know lots of people that are black and white and brown who live in neighborhoods. <laughs> and in yeah. an agreement, outside of politicians, who ever uses terms like that? There's nothing inherently wrong with these phrases, but this is not how people talk. This is not how voters talk. And doing it anyway is a signal that you're talking one language, and the people that you want to vote for you are speaking another language. This stuff is harmless in one sense, but in another sense, it's really not. Sean Elling asks, is the problem the language or the fact that there are lots of voters who just don't want to hear about race and racial injustice. Well, we have to talk about race, James Carville says. We should talk about racial injustice. What I'm saying is we need to do it without using jargony language that's unrecognizable to most people, including to most black people. This two do two cools for school S doesn't work, and we need to stop it. And I like this, he said. Um, uh, we got to quit saying we, Republicans are calling us socialists anyway, so we might as well run as out, out and out socialists. That's not the smartest thing to do. And maybe tweeting we should abolish the police isn't the smartest thing to do because almost effing no one wants to do that. <laughs> which I really right. like him saying. Right. And I'm going to get to the Republican response to this in a second, which is the reason I read you this. Um, and I like this paragraph also from James Car- uh, James Carville. We won the White House against a world historical buffoon, and we came within 42,000 votes of losing. Yeah, that doesn't get enough attention. You don't have to add very many votes together in very many states, and this that the whole thing gets flipped a different direction. Well, and I remember that was in response to Sean Illing and Cold Chilling uh, saying, hey, we're doing great. We got the White House. We got both houses. We're fabulous. Uh, and Carvel's like, what? We barely beat Trump. We lost congressional seats. We didn't pick up state legislatures. So let's not have an argument about whether or not we're off key in our messaging. We are. And we're off because there's too much jargon and there's too much esoterica and it turns people off. So he's anti the woke crowd. Well, so I like this response in the Washington Examiner from Quinn uh, Hillier. Republicans, too, should wake up to Carvel's cry about wokeness. And he's just saying... Carvel's right. Why aren't we taking advantage of this as Republicans? And he goes through all the different things that uh, the loudest part of the left is out of step with. And the list is quite long. Uh, I'll start at uh, well, the beginning is always a good place to start. Um, Hard to believe Republicans aren't getting messaging right with such uh, eloquent and charming people as Kevin McCarthy and uh, Mitch McConnell at the top. Uh, Republicans should drive home just how radical and dangerous the le- the Democratic leftism can be. <clears throat> Against wokeness, middle America, and he's, he's got all kinds of various polls that back up these statements. Against wokeness, middle America doesn't want to defend police departments. Against wokeness, middle America doesn't think protests should become confrontational or lawless. Against wokeness, middle America doesn't want biological males to ruin their athletic opportunities for our daughters, granddaughters, and nieces. Middle America doesn't think charitable nuns should be forced to participate in in provision of insurance coverage for abortions. Middle America doesn't think climate change is a major crisis that requires putting everything down and dramatically overhauling how we live. 
Most of America doesn't support the Green New Deal. Most of America doesn't think our borders should be wide open. Most of America doesn't support sanctuary cities. These are all true in most of your major polls. Uh, we don't think free health care should be offered to illegal immigrants. We're worried about re- race relations and think too much racism still exists, but we resent being told that America's soul is racist, that whites are inherently racist and blameworthy for everything wrong. We reject the idea that systems and institutions are hopelessly racist. Most of America doesn't think that. Um... Uh, most of uh, the wokesters want to keep conservative thought out of college. Most of America doesn't agree with that. Uh, the left, the woke left hates Israel. The overwhelming majority of Americans support the Jewish state. The woke left romanticizes Cuba and Che Guevara and Castro. Most Americans disagree. Wokers, wokesters want a much smaller military. Ameri- most of America does not. And it goes on and on and on. And the Republicans do a horrible job of capitalizing on any of these as issues. And one of uh, this person's uh, beliefs is that there's still too much fighting over weird conspiracy theories in the uh, the Republican Party about the election or January 6th or whatever, and not hammering the loud left for things that most of America doesn't agree with at all. Given the fact that we, conservative America, or just moderate America, really are up against virtually the entirety of the media, I mean, that's a huge handicap. But I just, I honestly think the eloquent... Really persuasive conservative leaders have yet to emerge, or we need a new set to emerge in a hurry. Yeah, Tim I... Scott tonight, major audition. <laughs> 